Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith. Are you listening to the right podcast? Because you're supposed to be listening to Three Guys in a Flick. Are you listening to that right now? Then you're in the right place. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Who the hell are you really? Some security guard who watched too many action flicks? Or a loser cop stuck in a mall playing dress-up with fat kids pissing on your lap? Stop me when I get it right. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Violent Night. Beware spoilers. Coming to you from the Lightstone compound, my name is Don. And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. I like my operations like I like to fuck. Hard and fast with minimal cleanup. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Time for some season's beatings. All right. Uh, tonight is our second week of our holiday slash Christmas special. And last week we reviewed Elf, which is a family favorite and a classic for sure. But this week, this week we decided to go to the theater and see Violent Night. Which surprisingly was just like Elf. In some ways, yes, Santa was in both. Very fam- fam- uh, family friendly. I think a lot of people have stated the best thing about this movie is you have movies like Elf and It's a Wonderful Life and Scrooge and all those other movies that you sit down and you show the family and you watch it together. And as soon as they go to bed, you're pulling out Violent Night. Oh, yeah. It's a good watch. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I did too. It was a lot of fun. Released on December 2nd, 2022, Violent Night was directed by Tommy Wakola. Screenplay by Pat Casey and Josh Miller. And it stars David Harbour, John Leguizamo, Cam Gidigant, Alex Hassel, Alexis Lauder, Edie Patterson, Beverly D'Angelo, and a bunch of other elves. What'd you think of this casting? David Harbour, I think, is uh, a great actor. And I think he's had a lot of good roles. You know, when you think of David Harbour, you, at least I immediately go to him as Hopper. But he was also a great uh, asshole cop in The Equalizer. And I think that's where I might have first saw him, uh, Equalizer with Denzel. Did you guys ever see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did once upon a time. Yeah, he's the one that he gets locked in his garage and smoking all the cigarettes. And then he's also in uh, Daniel Craig's James Bondverse. He is... Um, What's Bond's buddy's name in the... Felix. It's his... Felix Slider? Yeah, it's his boss on the plane in Quantum of Solace. That's David Harbour. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and then then I see him pop up on Stranger Things. I'm like, yeah, right on. And then he pops up on... um, Black Widow. Black Widow. He gets introduced to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And he's also in the DC uh, uh, Cinematic Universe. Uh, What movie? Anybody? Suicide Squad. He, the first one, he is the White House or the, he's Amanda Waller's buddy. Okay. Yeah. So David Arbor. It was also Hellboy 
where I think he did he did a great job portraying the character. It just didn't have a good story to work with. Was it not the story from the comics? Uh, it was loosely based on comics, like a bunch of different stories mixed together. But just the whole thing, like the movie just didn't do well, but I don't think that was his fault. Oh, I don't, uh, I don't think it was his fault either. Uh, I saw bits of it, and I mean, he looked fun as the character. What I love about David Harbour, especially in this role, this type of character, is he is like a John McClane type character. He is the everyday guy put in an incredible situation, and he fits. He works. That's the way his, his style works. And a lot like John McClane, David Harbour, uh, as this character, as the I don't want to be there guy, mm-hmm. has so much heart. And it really comes across on screen. And I thought, oh, shit. When we saw the previews for this, uh, David Harbour, Santa Claus, fucking awesome. And he did not disappoint. I really enjoyed him as Santa Claus. He was a rich character that was developed very well. And him having the heart, uh, I think, was important for uh, the viewing audience to have rather than just having Santa Claus is only going to be an asshole. And so because I, I think deep down people that you know enjoy a Santa Claus story arc are going to want a, a couple of essential elements that make Santa Claus Santa Claus. And if he's just you know a, a, a drunk asshole for the arc of his story, I don't think that's going to make people want to uh, root for him. I agree 100%. Think of Billy Bob Thornton in Bad Santa. I mean, he was a drunk dickhead Santa, but that's who the character was, right? I mean, he wasn't actually Santa Claus, but you see what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. John Leguizamo, this is like the third or fourth movie that we've reviewed with John Leguizamo. He's kind of becoming a Hall of Famer here at Three Guys. I so love him. Oh, he's so great. How do you think he did as the lead bad guy? I thought he was fantastic. There were essence of Hans Gruber. There was essence of um, Colonel... (sighs) What Lighter? F- no, what the fuck is his Clink? name? No. <laughs> Die Hard 2. Who's the... Jess- oh, yes. Jessup? No, that's no. not Jessup. That's Few Good Men. I know who you're talking about the second one. Yeah, William Sadler. The, yeah, uh, William Sadler's character. Yeah. Uh, um, but John Leguizamo, I thought, was, I thought he was a great bad guy. I always love how he delivers his lines, how he develops a story, how he gets into his parts. There's some great things on YouTube that shows him preparing for the role. And it's just... You know, he really, really got into it. Uh, He also, the character, they gave a little bit of backstory, a little bit of background. And while it was a little bit, you know, felt like it was forced, he did a great job with it. You thought it was forced? Yeah, just he had a bad Christmas and blah, blah, blah. Now he hates Christmas forever. Oh, well. It just it seemed like a you know a weird reason to want to destroy Christmas. No, I thought it was I thought it was fully I thought it was a great reason for mm. him wanting to uh destroy Christmas and I'm glad that we got that little backstory. But you kind of had to figure we would because I mean Santa knows everything. Yeah, and I kind of wish that you know they had developed a little more of he was upset with Santa because as Santa says at one point in the movie I'm there for kids who need me. He wasn't there for for young Scrooge. Well, how much more upset did you want him to be? Did you need another 20 minutes to explain that to you? I don't know. I just felt like at the end he should have yelled out, you weren't there for me. Did you already say what you liked about John Leguizamo there, buddy? No, sir, I did not. What I enjoyed was his strength of conviction and his, uh, and his uh, preparedness that his character had for the story, that he was so confident and determined 
and driven to get his money, and he was smart and shrewd in determining how he was going to get it uh, done, and then to have Claus show up the way that he does, and then to force the hand of Claus by uh, you know confronting him. I I, I I really enjoyed his character a lot just for the sake of, I, I bought what he was selling. Yeah, absolutely. So out of all of the mercenaries, the henchmen, did you guys have one that you thought did the best or that you clicked with? I like Candy Cane. Candy Cane? Which one was Candy Cane? Uh, the blonde girl. I think Krampus was funny. He might be my favorite only because he makes me laugh mm-hmm. and he's kind of psychotic. And... um I really wanted to see more out of Gingerbread. Well, okay, which one was Gingerbread? Gingerbread's the one who punches the guy out in the beginning when he says, you know what my favorite holiday is or whatever? You know, Boxing Day, and he punches the guy out. Oh, he's like the head caterer, right? Yeah. He, he was with Candy Cane when they were looking for... Okay, yes. okay, okay. And so I, I wanted to see more from him. I thought he could have been a great fight scene with Santa. Yeah. I, I thought that, you know, outside of Beverly D'Angelo, this wasn't a very known cast. Outside of the mercenaries and the people that we did know, was there a character or a actor in this that you kind of went, oh, look at that? Actually, I thought the the young lady who played Trudy, I thought she did a fantastic job in this movie. She's very believable. I think she holds this movie together, and I think that her and David are definitely the heart yeah. of this film. And if that connection doesn't work, this film doesn't work. Yeah. No matter how many times you kill people. Agreed, because she is what causes Santa to pull himself back to what Santa is supposed to be mm-hmm. and, and not to be jaded and wanting so much to w- want nothing to do with Christmas anymore. Right, right. Leah Brady, that's the actress's name. Uh, fantastic job. Good casting there. You brought up Beverly D'Angelo. What did you think of her in this role? Uh, after I recognized her, uh, I thought she was great. I thought she played a, you know, one of those rich billionaire assholes uh, perfectly, you know, and the whole family dynamic, it was funny, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you have all these rich people and the kids are just assholes, you know, the the son, I guess, is trying not to be as much of an asshole. And I think it's because of the Trudy, his daughter, is changing him. But um, yeah, I thought she did great. I didn't think much of Jason Lightstone, the son that you're talking about. Uh, I just, I don't feel like he really pulled out the part very well. What did you think of him? I thought he, well, first of all, he reminds me or resembles an Oscar Isaacs. Mm-hmm. But I would probably refer to him as discount Oscar Isaacs. He... It was okay, I guess. I just felt like he was the weakest of the cast, in my opinion. Besides some of the mercenaries, you know, for being in such a prominent role, he just came across as the weakest to me. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. I can see it. Uh, do you know where he's from? Do you remember uh, Translucent from The Boys? Yes, I do remember that. I'm, I I read that he was in that. That's him. I didn't know any, any of his works from before this. Yeah, but what did you think of the character? He was passable, and I just attribute it to, you know, you play... As, as well as you can from the script that you're given. And if his story arc isn't all that uh, strong, then, you know, how do you go with that? Yeah, right. I do have to say a lot of the one-liners in this movie, especially coming from the daughter, uh, Jason's sister, what was her name? The son of... Or Elva. The, Elva, the mother of Bertrude. Uh, she had a few just great little quick quips here and there. You know, we all can't have daughters. and yeah. you know, Little comments here and there. 
This movie was made for $20 million, and it is expected to make 10 in its opening weekend. I have a feeling, and I think we can all probably agree, for our type of moviegoer, you know, who loves, especially the 80s and the 90s action movies, this is going to become a Christmas classic. I don't see how it can't. If you are one of the people that believe that Die Hard is a Christmas movie... Which it is. Thank you. You will love this movie. Uh, if you love Home Alone and wish that the violence was taken up a little bit... You will love this movie. You know, it's it's a fun, fun ride. And there's a lot of other uh, Christmas tropes in this that you see in other movies. And, and it's borrowed from other movies. But, you know, it does it in such a really good way that... Yeah, you might say, oh, it's Die Hard. But... It's a lot of fun, and, I mean, that's what you go to the movies for, right? A lot of movies that have tried the same thing, like especially like the Christmas horror movies that have come out, have taken the basic elements of a Christmas movie. You know, you got your Santa, you got maybe your elves, you got, and just made a movie that just didn't feel like Christmas. This kept the Christmas heart throughout the whole movie and kept that theme, and it really worked in this movie. And so that's why I feel like, you know, like we were just saying, it's going to become a Christmas classic. It's going to be a cult classic for this time of year. Yeah. Well, I think the writing's pretty good, too. The uh, the one-liners certainly uh, make it uh, for a more enjoyable watch. And there are certainly uh, some satisfying uh, death scenes that, you know, make you go, yes! Yeah. And, and because of those moments mixed in with the heart of our two characters santa and trudy i think it works you know talking about how it is it, it's it's like a mashup between you know uh, uh, uh as john just said home alone die hard throw in something else like uh tim allen's santa claus maybe you know where you come to terms about being santa claus right there, there's part of that in there too and i i think that it's certainly in our age bracket wheelhouse for grown-up guys that grew up with these other movies and know these other movies it's a nice mashup that i think works well yeah yeah for sure speaking of one-liners did you guys have a favorite or one that really kind of resonated with you i'd probably have to see the movie a couple more times but I, i i know that i chuckled throughout with numerous lines and uh i i i don't know if i necessarily have one that just like yes i i i love that yeah, one that pops into my head is when uh, Scrooge says, I know you're an idiot, but don't be an idiot in public. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. I was also thinking of, I think, one, one of the uh, when Scrooge first comes in or something like that, and he says, bah humbug, motherfucker. Yeah. On Christmas Eve, Santa Claus drinks at a pub in Bristol, where he laments to a mall Santa how the kids have begun to lose their Christmas spirit and have become increasingly materialistic. He leaves on his sleigh, pulled by his reindeer, shocking and delighting the pub's bartender before accidentally vomiting on her from his sleigh. Jason Lightstone, his estranged wife Linda, and their daughter Trudy travel to the countryside mansion of Gertrude Lightstone, Jason's wealthy and crude mother, to celebrate Christmas at her lavish estate that has been funded by the profitable family business. They are joined by Jason's alcoholic sister Elva, her new boyfriend and wannabe action star Morgan Steele, and Elva's son Bert, short for Bertrude. After realizing he didn't take Trudy to the mall to see Santa, Jason implores Linda to make up with him, with Jason promising to quit his job working for Gertrude and leave it all behind. He finds an old walkie-talkie, which he gives to Trudy, to talk to Santa. All right, so this movie starts off, and uh, jolly old Saint Nick is in a pub. Getting drunk. Uh, It says Christmas Eve, so 
you know. Kind of gave that bad Santa vibes. A little bit, a little bit. Uh, and everybody mistakes him as, you know, just a, another Santa. What would you guys think of this whole bit? I thought it was a great setup to get into the mind of this character, of this Santa Claus, in that he really has given up on Christmas. Right. With the state of the world and where we are at, I don't know if uh, what the writers were really trying to say, but what it felt like to me was um, that Christmas has become not Christmas anymore. And it comes across in david harbour's uh portrayal he's just kind of fed up with it he's disappointed and i think he's sad you know because he's been bringing joy for so many years and you know they reference all the gifts that he can bring and it's mostly what video games Mm -hmm. and cash yeah video games and cash uh but i did like the introduction and uh i fucking loved uh santa's suit the red leather i Mm -hmm. mean yeah it, it it looked good Pretty classy. I think you need an outfit like that. I, I think that would work on you. I would pro- I would probably fucking wear it. That's for sure. The great thing I think about this scene is it develops kind of, like I said, his mindset, but it doesn't take too long. It's a quick enough scene. Yeah, and it's really the opening, right? Uh, and then he gives the bartender a video game for her grandson, and everyone's like, wait, how do you know, blah, blah, blah. How'd you even know he, that she had a grandson? Yeah, and so he, she goes upstairs, and... And then, you know, that whole classic thing where somebody sees Santa leaving and, you know, but then he fucking pukes all over her. I did not see that coming. I did not either. And I, I think I, I laughed pretty yeah. fucking loud at the theater. That was so funny. It set the tone for what we're in for. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we're going to give you a little bit of this heart. You know, we're going to wind you up a little bit and then we're going to throw up all over your fucking face. And it wasn't just regular throw up either. It was, you could see like bar uh, peanuts and stuff in it. And it was just, it was chunky. Yeah. So gross. Yeah. So gross. It was so good. (laughs) But hey, that bartender's got a story to tell. Yes, she does. She got puked on by Santa. And then after the credits, we are introduced to Jason, his estranged wife, Linda, and their daughter, Trudy. Uh, Jason's standing on the corner waiting to be picked up. So this automatically kind of tells me that uh, mom and dad aren't together, but they're going to spend the holidays together. And then he even says to Linda, his estranged wife, he says, thanks for doing this. And she makes it a point to say, I'm not doing this for you. Mm -hmm. You know, so they're trying to hang on to that family dynamic. What I also liked about this whole interaction is some movies take from other movies and it's obvious, but they don't give credit to those movies. This movie flat out says, right in this scene where we first introduced to Trudy, she's just seen Home Alone, and she's a big fan of it. So when they work in elements of Home Alone later, makes perfect sense. And so uh, when we get to the compound, we are introduced to Jason's alcoholic sister, Elva, and her new boyfriend, Morgan, and her son, Bertrude. Their portrayal of the way they are... Uh, was kind of spot on, right? I mean, she's an alcoholic, rich, superficial, all of that. He's a wannabe actor, um, same thing. And then the little kid's just a fucking douche. I think the three of them alone represented everything that Santa hated about Christmas right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair to say. During this time, you know, Santa is now making his way to the United States for Christmas Eve. And uh, we get a lot of backstory here. Uh, we get, uh, they're having their Christmas dinner, their Christmas feast. And 
I mean, this, this movie was not trying to be subtle at all. Uh, all of the help, all of the people that they hired were totally the terrorists. And you could see it because uh, you see Krampus early on and he just kind of looks like a fucking terrorist. Yeah. And they even make a comment, I think, to Candy Cane, who's working behind a counter. She's the worst caterer they've ever worked with. Right. Right. But I think at this at this point, I knew that they were the terrorists yeah. as soon as they walk in. Right. And then I started thinking, oh, fucking diehard. Right? Yeah. Total <laughs> diehard vibes at this point. Even John Leguizamo's walk up after his reveal was very Hans Gruberish. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we find out that... Jason usually takes his daughter to the mall to see Santa, but he couldn't this year because of the divorce, this, that, and the other, or work, or whatever it was, and she was well, really I think, disappointed. Well, well, we reveal later he had something else going on that he was managing. Sure. So her dad has this idea. Uh, he goes and gets this walkie-talkie, and he tells her, um, you know, you can talk to Santa. He won't reply because he's super busy, but you can talk to Santa. Clever. Yeah. And The um, other clever thing I thought, and it didn't, catch it right at first that that there was the earphones plugged into the walkie-talkie so only whenever santa was talking to her only she was hearing it i didn't connect with that at first that why was there those you know headphones but yeah that made more sense well yeah that's how she hears yeah i'm good i'm I'm glad you picked up on that i I kept thinking isn't everybody else in the room hearing (laughs) what santa's saying but no it's because it's got plugged in yeah so uh smart thinking by dad trying to get out of you know not Doing the right thing, I guess. The doghouse. Right. Um, but you knew it was going to come into play. Very John McClane, Al, on the radio. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know. Santa arrives at the Lightstone estate to deliver gifts. And when the catering staff reveal themselves to be mercenaries, led by a man known as Mr. Scrooge, and take the family hostage, Santa gets into a fight with one of the henchmen, whose gunfire scares away the reindeer. Santa inadvertently kills the henchman with a string of Christmas lights pulls him out of the window and is impaled on an icicle decoration outside. Santa later kills another henchman, stabbing him in an eye with a tree topper before plugging it in and electrocuting him. Taking the henchman's walkie-talkie, he accidentally finds Trudy's channel and sees that she is still on his nice list. Decides to help save her while also finding that all the mercenaries are on his naughty list. So... We kind of get a little montage, I think, of Santa visiting different places, kind of in between these two paragraphs here, where he goes, and exactly what he was saying, everybody wants video games, there's one note that a kid left that just says cash, 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 mm-hmm. um, and you can see him getting frustrated and frustrated, and then he gets to this house, and first thing he does, you know, he eats the cookies and everything, and goes straight for the alcohol. Six pack of beer on the, on the TV tray. You know, one of them. Uh, another one, he goes into the massage chair and is just having a good old time. You can see he's just over it. Yeah, until he gets to this house and he sees that Trudy has actually made him cookies because they make it a point to show us boxes of store-bought cookies that he has to eat, right? But these were made and he, it makes him smile, you know, and he puts the, uh, they left him a candy cane. So he was all happy about the candy cane. Foreshadowing. Um. What? Yeah. what was that? Yeah, you heard me. And um, yeah, I, I thought it was a nice touch. Mm-hmm. And then he spies some expensive liquor up on the cabinet shelf. And decides to pour himself a drink, sit in the massage chair, and like he describes it all the time, he's just taking a break. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but while this is going on, they put Trudy to bed, but yet everything is still going on downstairs. And the catering company is still there. It doesn't look like they're cleaning up or anything. But 
I mean, they're the terrorists or they're the mercenaries. So Mr. Scrooge shows up. Well, Mr. Scrooge shows up before he shows up. The uh, mercenaries start taking out like one by one, all the different guards and, you know, people at the front gate and people watching the cameras. And well, they're doing this while uh, Scrooge is walking towards the car. Yeah. Yeah. I felt bad for Al. Yeah, I mean, they make it a point to show that he likes the little girl, and they get along, and then he gets shot in the fucking head. Yeah. What'd you think of uh, Santa's first interaction with the henchmen? You know, when I saw the the trailer, I thought that Santa was going to be, I don't know, more of a skilled fighter, I guess. But this just turns into a fucking brawl, and I liked it because, you know... Uh, you you knew Santa was going to win the fight, whatever. But I mean, they just didn't make him overly powerful, okay. which they easily could have. And the only real magic that they show us is him hitting his nose and going up the mm-hmm. uh, fireplace. Right? He doesn't have uh, he doesn't have Wolverine's healing factor. He can get hurt. Um, I, I I liked it. Again, this you know we keep bringing up Die Hard, but this was very John McClane. This was not. You know, as you put it, a martial artist, not a guy who's a superhero. It's just an everyday, ordinary type of guy getting into a brawl and using what was around him to try to win the fight. And I love that they incorporated in, you know, Christmas items, you know, the lights, the star, all of that into being things that he fights with. Using the bag for, you know, punching in the bag and pulling out things, trying to find, you know, any kid that asked for a baseball bat or a sword or Molotov cocktails. Right. And like you said, he's not, you know, this superhero. Right. And as a matter of fact, he is trying at first to want nothing to do with this. He sees that bad shit's going down and he tries to get away, right? He tries to leave, but he's too drunk that he can't get himself up the chimney and he's forced to try to hide from anybody that might be showing up in the room. And sure enough, somebody does. And I, I say, I actually have another theory of why he couldn't get up the chimney. And they kind of hinted at this later on uh, when it does work is that there wasn't enough Christmas belief in the household as well as in himself. He didn't believe enough in Christmas anymore for his Christmas magic to work. Meh. You didn't buy that? Not at all. You thought he was just drunk? Yeah. Because the alcohol impaired. Um, it's like driving. Okay. Right. I mean, at this house, he loses his faith in Christmas? Well, I think it's just the, the house itself, so much naughty was going on, he had kind of lost his powers. Nah. And it wasn't until later on when everybody started believing, or when John Lacuzamo believed that his powers worked. Or when he sobered up. Yeah, that's possible, too. Yeah. That's what I think. I, 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 didn't, I didn't think that it was because of that. I just thought it was because of the alcohol. Mm. Yeah. And then... He, he was sloppy with his fighting because one of the first things he does is he gives him, he tries a couple of swings, but then eventually it's a headbutt. Right. Cause he keeps missing with the swings. Yeah. So he, and he's a big guy in the first place. So, you know, it's good if one of those connect, but you know, the other guy, he's, he's a skilled fighter. Right. And so as soon as we get the headbutt, then it turns into this brawl and, and it's like, okay, here we go. They, they cut outside and we see the icicle. And then they cut back in, and we're fighting, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, he's going to go get uh, impaled on the icicle. And sure as shit, that's what happens. And after that, that's when he wants to get away, right? Tries uh, to. But during the fight, the gun goes off, and he scares the reindeer, reindeer, and they take off, and he's all kinds of pissed off at him. (laughs) 
It's like they don't listen to him or something. Well, you know they had I mean? already been unprofessional on the roof, and now they fly off without him. I know. <laughs> Taking a shit on the roof is unprofessional. I'd be pissed, too. Rudolph wouldn't do that. That's right. Fucking reindeer. It was Prancer, too, I think. Mm-hmm. I think he says it was Prancer. Um, so he tries to get away, and then while he's leaving, he's on the ground floor, and he's trying to get away. He sees Trudy and the family on the inside, and the hostages, and he goes, fuck, 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 I, I gotta leave, I gotta leave. But then Trudy comes through on the walkie-talkie, and he has no choice but to help her. Because she's on the nice list. That's right. That's right. And Santa does have a heart, and he's not completely cold and jaded and turned off to being Santa Claus completely. Correct. Over the course of the night, it is revealed that Mr. Scrooge is after $300 million given to the Lightstone Company to funnel oil into the Middle East, but was stolen by Gertrude and kept in the mansion's vault. When Trudy's walkie-talkie is discovered, Jason and Linda attempt to convince the mercenaries that Trudy is simply playing make-believe. When she refuses to go along, Jason tells her that Santa isn't real, causing her to run and hide in the attic. Over the walkie-talkie, Santa reveals that before he was Santa, he was a Viking warrior. He confirms to her that he is real by telling her about the letter she wrote him. Held hostage by Scrooge, Santa learns that Scrooge is out to ruin Christmas due to him never being able to have a good Christmas due to his father being laid off. He snuck into the house to steal gifts and inadvertently caused the death of an elderly man. Scrooge and his henchmen, Gingerbread and Candy Cane, are stunned when Santa reveals his knowledge of their identities before Santa escapes through the chimney. So here is where we get our big kind of, you know, diehard reveal that, again, it's all about a theft, it's all about money, and it involves a big vault that they have to get into to get the prize. You know, the $300 million that that she swindled away, uh, I have heard over the years some stories about this happening where there have been hundreds of millions of dollars that was to be used to fight the war on terrorism back in the Bush administration. And I, and I've heard occasionally here and there that there's a bunch of money that ended up never being accounted for. Yeah. Did you ever see three Kings? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, 300, 300 million. That, that's pretty good motivation. Well, it is. I kept thinking about that though. 300 million, how many henchmen and how many people on the kill squad and how many people did John Leguizamo have hired to help him with this project? So that that's a curious thought. So we have eight of his henchmen, but then the, uh, the, uh, the security force that shows up, that's probably like a dozen guys. So that's 20 altogether. And if you have 20 for 300 million, that's 15 million a piece. I don't know if I'd be willing to to be such a cold-hearted motherfucker to be shooting people on Christmas and kill everybody for fifteen million dollars. I don't. I, I, that doesn't seem like enough money. Um, you guys are assuming that they all it was split evenly, right? Because uh, yeah, I, I thought there might be percentages and everything, but then I kept thinking, you know, depending on how this outcome happens, this is a rich family who will hunt you down and is. Even $15 million or $10 million, whatever they're going to get, is that enough to get far enough away from this family hunting you down? Oh, only two of them or maybe four were ever going to get that money. You think so? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, they were going to joker them. You think? Yeah, yeah, just kill them all. I mean, that makes sense. The other thing I kept thinking, too, was it was a... Of all the heist movie we've seen, 
this was a great target because this was stolen money that they were going to steal. So you can't really report stolen money. So it, it just, yeah, I thought it was kind of a brilliant story here. Sure. So Santa is running around and it, uh, the walkie-talkies found uh, with Trudy and the gang is like, wait a minute, one of our guys is already dead and you have a walkie-talkie. What's going on? We're they gonna, have a gopher. We're going to kill the kid or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, the parents are frantic. They're like, tell them, you know, you're playing make-believe. And then the dad has to come clean. There is no Santa Claus. Yeah. Crushes, crushes her. Crushes her. Well, what did you think before this, the whole nutcracker scene when they were trying to uh, figure out who, you know, this gopher is that's running around, who knows about him, where they, they first crush the guy's finger in the nutcracker, and then they're going to, you know, make the nutcracker do what its name is. Mm-hmm. What did you think of that whole setup? It was funny. Yeah, it was amusing about uh, the uh, candy cane Merc. She, it, no, I'm not touching them down there. Yeah. Yeah, she just didn't want to do it. She's like, it I've seen nice. you gut people. And yeah. <laughs> but you don't want to touch his balls. And then Krampus is like, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. That's what I love about psychopaths. Yeah. <laughs> They'll try anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course, they weren't going to do it. Uh, but anyways, uh, Jason uh, crushes little Trudy, and she runs away, and she runs to the attic. And then uh, her and Santa start talking. And I thought, oh. I thought this bit, we dragged a little bit here. I thought the, though good and, you know, touching, it just dragged a little for me. For me, again, this was kind of, you know, again, going, I'm going to bring up Die Hard a lot during this. This is the kind of the, the John McClane and Al moment where they're just having their, you know, if I don't make it out of this, you know, this is blah, blah, blah. It's the down moment where they're actually talking. But this was also, for me, I feel like this was an important scene in that it's a setup, I think, for a future movie. I think that if this movie works out, we're going to get a prequel of how did, I think his name was Nick Nicolum, the Viking. He was a berserker. How did he become Santa Claus? Because they don't tell us. They just tell him he tell us he was a Viking and he did some bad things. He wasn't a good guy. He was probably the top of the naughty list if there was a naughty list. So right there, we have a premise for a prequel movie. Then it also kind of hints at, you know, he goes out and he helps kids who need him so now you've set up for a possible future movie of him helping another family down the road. But him being Santa Claus? By him being Santa Claus and showing up to another situation, and we get exactly like Die Hard 2, we get the whole, why am I always in these kind of situations? Yeah, maybe. I mean, time will tell. Uh, I like that they just touched on his backstory. you know. And I'll tell you what happened. You want to know how he became Santa Claus? No. Oh. He was given a choice, and he said yes. Well, one of the things I read online, just ideas people thrown out there for, for future movies, is he was such a bad guy that he went into the wrong village as a berserker and was cursed to do these good things. And he's lived all his life doing these good things, and it has kind of rubbed off on him that that's who he wants to be. I don't know if they would portray becoming Santa Claus as a curse. I don't know, but maybe that's how it started. Like That's how he redeemed himself. What I liked about it was it gave a, a plausible explanation for why Santa can fight. Sure. And his weapon of choice. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I dug it. I dug the backstory and that we didn't get a lot of it. And we just need to accept the fact that he's Santa. If they make a prequel, will I go see it? Eh, probably. Will I want to? I don't know. I think they can do. <clears throat> it's the problem with uh, adding on. You know, let's go forward. 
people. Why do we need to keep going backwards? Mm -hmm. But that's just me. So the next death that we get, uh, Tinsel, is that the character's name? I think so. I loved this death. I think this is probably my favorite death. And it all comes down to the star to the eye. That once he gets that star to the eye... Oh, that oh that was so painful. But the finishing touch. I thought it was over at that point that he got the star to the eye. Yeah, yeah. But then no, he's he gets back up. But the finishing touch, Santa plugging the Christmas tree back into the wall, and to have his head light on fire, and we watch the the head eventually get consumed by flames, and that the he's white he's 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 wafting away all of the smoke. That awful stench that it's got to be. And then eventually we have the fire recede, diminish, and eventually pretty much go out. I did not expect to be watching that head burn for as long as I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. Exactly. And, and just the fact that it, was, it didn't bother Santa at all. Well, no. Yeah. I mean, come on. He's a big fucking Viking. Yeah. yeah I mean, he's been through some shit. Right? Oh, and, and, this is, and this is where he talks to Scrooge. This on the radio? Is, on the radio. Very. Yeah. He has a... Uh, conversation with the main bad guy. And like was almost character. I mean, I think I said it in the quote, you know, it's the same conversation as Die Hard. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just another American kid who's seen too many uh, movies or action flicks and blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't know if that's lazy writing, but it fit. It fit just fine. And um, it was a good sequence between the two. Now Senate decides to go on the offensive. So in conjunction with talking to Trudy that he is going to help, and now he feels that he is moving on the offensive for the sake of helping Trudy, he decides to go after Candy Cane. And as he goes after Candy Cane, the uh, the, the light strand, no, the tinsel, the tinsel string of lights gives him away by him uh, activating the Santa Claus. And she turns around and then she's, and then he's, and he runs into the room. And I loved when, Scrooge shows up and he's all business to take care of this. And he, he already has a plan, right? Cause he has that fire extinguisher in his hand. Did you notice the voice of the animatronic? That is David Harbor. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> so when, you know, when he says Merry Christmas or whatever it says, I'm like, Oh, cute. But yeah, uh, Scrooge comes in and, uh, blows the door down, blows the door down, uh, classic move, badass, taking a air tank of some sort and shooting it. And uh, this is where they capture Santa Claus. This is where Santa Claus starts telling them, you're on the naughty list, and these are your real names, and they start to doubt him. But Mr. Scrooge is like, fuck that. I mean, there's no such thing as Santa. But and, when he uses his name, when he calls him Jimmy. Everything stops. You know, yeah, everyone's silent for a second. And then Candy Cane even. How does he know your name? Something, right? Or she says, uh, maybe he is Santa. And that's when Scrooge says, I know you're an idiot. But don't be an idiot in public. <laughs> I'm going to use that all the time. I yeah, fucking love that. For me, that felt very John Leguizamo, like something he would actually say. It just came out perfectly delivered from him. And I love how they have him tied up with Christmas lights. Of course. Well, I mean, how else would you tie Santa up? <laughs> you know? <clears throat> and uh, Santa escapes. Up uh, the chimney. He's sober now. Yeah. One of the things I noticed throughout this whole movie, and I actually appreciated it, was... All of the wounds that Santa got, all of the blood, everything. The dried, caked on blood on his, carried, on his... Yeah, carried throughout all the scenes. He didn't magically clean up each thing. His beard was caked with blood 
almost the whole movie all the way up until the end. And I appreciate that, you know, uh, continuity is what I'm looking for the word uh, throughout the whole movie. Absolutely. I was thinking that too, when I was watching it, I'm thinking, uh, you know, they could have easily cut away and he could have been washing his face or something, but they didn't, they just rolled with the punches and it stayed literally and it looked good. Gertrude's kill squad arrives to the mansion, but they are on Scrooge's payroll, killing Morgan in the process. The squad's commander Thorpe opens the vault, which contains nothing. With a gun to Linda's head, Jason confesses that he stole the money and was planning to escape with Linda and Trudy, which shocks the family, minus Gertrude, who learned of this from Jason's gift, which he was forced to open by a henchman named Krampus. Santa retreats to a shed where he discovers a hammer. Inspired, he brutally slaughters the kill squad before rushing to save Trudy. Upstairs, Trudy creates traps inspired by Home Alone. This leads to Gingerbread being killed by a bowling ball driving a nail into his head. Candy Cane escapes her traps and prepares to kill Trudy, but she is rescued by Santa, who kills Candy Cane. So, uh, throughout this thing, they know that uh, the family's been taken hostage. There's a kill squad coming. Uh, We keep getting a timer countdown of 30 minutes, 20 minutes. Yep. And the mom's like, oh, you guys are already dead. They're going to fucking, you know, be on our, they're going to come rescue us, this, that, and the other. And then when we see them for the first time on the snowmobiles, I'm sure it popped right into your heads too. But I thought, they're they're the bad guys. They're not the kill squad. This is Die Hard 2. Wait a minute. Die Hard 2? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Did you guys see that coming or did you see the twist? I had a feeling throughout the movie that this kill squad coming along was just going to be more henchmen. Sure. Well, because Scrooge was so casual, nonchalant about it. And if he's planned everything to a T, then why wouldn't they be? And I kept thinking that, you know, when they first kind of mentioned them, they said we have like 30 minutes until the kill squad's here. That's not enough time to get into that vault. Oh, God, no. Yeah, their their timing was. And I'm also thinking to myself, how long is this taking place? Because there's still a lot of kids out the world who need their fucking presents, Santa. You better be making up some time. That's all I'm going to say. Well, I kept thinking all the presidents, the presidents that got destroyed, you know, stabbing through games and throwing stuff. And I, I, I chalked that up to they get replaced by magic. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, ma- but, magic works. And, and we don't know how it works. Right. 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 He's still not, still not too sure of it himself. Colonel Stewart. That's what his fucking name was. Thank you. You're welcome. So they open the vault and it's empty. Did this scene bother you at all? No. With it being that Jason, this guy who, like I said, was one of the weakest links in this movie, was secretly kind of a mastermind of his own theft plot. And somehow he got into this vault before everybody else got into the vault and was able to get away from, with the money before without anybody noticing. Yeah, he did it. I'm sure he did it before that day. I'm sure this is days in advance. Yeah, it's just that whole thing. I just, I don't see him being a mastermind enough to somehow get all that money the way he did. That's why it worked. That's why he would have gotten away with it. Yeah. I just chalked it up to plot convenience. Yeah, that's kind of where it was. Yeah, I mean, what's the difference? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, all right, well, you know what? I'm going to go with it. That's not that's not where the story is. The yeah. story is elsewhere, and so I'm just going to focus on that. Right. I mean, they couldn't make it too on the nose. 
you know, once they get that vault open and get the money, I mean, the movie could be over, right? So they had to, you know, oh, what if we did this here? So, and, and I saw it coming a mile away. As soon as she read the note, I'm like, oh, he took the fucking money. I didn't see that right away. I didn't expect him to have taken the money. I kept thinking what was in that note. So I did like, I did appreciate the fact of her opening it up and reading that note. We knew the president or the present with the note was important because when we first met Jason, he's carrying a bag and he's looking at the president in his bag with that note. So we knew that was a big part of the storyline. And when she read the note, I just thought it was a big fuck you and go to hell old lady. It was. So I didn't expect the whole him stealing the money first. I thought they were going to open the vault and it was going to be a big musical cue, just like that other movie we've talked about. <laughs> you know, and then they were going to be packing it up to get it out. Well, I'm glad they didn't do that then. Yeah. You know, so that was a good, it was an interesting go. twist, I guess. Yeah. So Santa is, has escaped and he's on the offensive and he makes it to the shed and he finds the sledgehammer, which, you know, it's sitting in perfect light. Yes. Yes. It's just even mean shined on, right? Do you yeah. remember what his hammer was called when he was a Viking? Skull Crusher? Skull, Skull Crusher. Crusher. Yeah. So just the, the fact that we now associate Santa Claus with Skull Crusher. Absolutely. It's great. Absolutely. The, the bottom or the moral of the story is don't fuck with Santa. The, I, for one thing that listeners may not know about me, I collect movie props and movie weaponry, things like that. Now I want Skull Crusher. Of course you do. I don't know if it's worth having, but of course you do. It was two seconds in the movie. I know, but I thought it was cool looking. Uh, just get a sledgehammer. That's I want all he the, had. I want the Santa like inspired one. So we watched the the uh, kill squad descend upon the barn as they sl- slowly surround the barn, and we have Santa inside with the sledgehammer. It's like fuck. Yeah. Well, and you knew it was coming, right? You and this knew le- and, it was coming. And this scene leads to my second favorite kill of the movie. Well, I was going to say, uh, this was another scene, because I was sitting next to you, Don, during the movie. This was another scene where I heard you go, fuck yeah, or something like that, as soon as he put the candy cane in his mouth, because I think you knew exactly what he was doing with that candy cane. I, I did, and I'm like, fuck yeah, here it comes. But that's not, the, that's not my second favorite kill. My second favorite kill of this movie is is when he's dispatching of all these bad guys in the in the barn and he turns on the wood chipper and he takes the rope and he ties up two oh, guys yeah. and then he just throws the so fucking good. And then the camera pans up away yeah. from the chipper to look at splat, 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 splat. What, what, what song was playing during this? Because that was, it, it, it's a popular song and I don't remember what it was, but... Once I see this movie again and I hear that song again, I'm going to start beginning to associate it with this moment of the movie. I don't know if it was this scene, but there was a scene, and it might have been a little bit later on, that subtly in the background they had Silent Night playing. Okay, that does not help this conversation, but thank you. Uh, I, I thought it was well, maybe during this scene, but no. But was that when they get on the... Uh, Wasn't it a rock popular song? Yeah. Was it Rocking Around the Christmas Tree? It was something like that. I, I felt like like Hall and Oates or something like that. Oh, maybe. Now we're going to have to go fucking see it. I don't know. I, the, I downloaded the Violent Night soundtrack, and I was trying to go through figuring out. What, I, don't, I thought it was a top 40 song. Yeah, I don't know if they'll have needle drops on that, though. I don't know. They had, It was a needle drop, though, right? It. I thought it was. Okay. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to go. <laughs> we'll have to go see it again. Fucking A. Um, yeah, but this, this barn scene with him just taking out 
the I dispatching. Mean, this is exactly why you go see this movie. What right? do you think of the ice skates? Him putting the ice skates oh, on his face. So fucking good. Yeah. He's smart. The only drawback of this scene, I mean, again, it was it was brilliant the way it was done. Only drawback is it was so dark. Sometimes it was hard to see what was going on. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. But it in the darkness, it was complemented with the splashing sounds and the splatting sounds of what was happening with the sledgehammer. And if I could, if I could change one thing, I felt I felt that the CGI blood looked really CGI mm-hmm. sometimes. And I mean, that's going to happen and whatever. Uh, but practical blood is always more fun. One thing I get also appreciated about this scene is as he's dispatching all the guys and he's narrowing them down the numbers, you have the guy outside who's kind of running the operation with his little laptop and his, he's seeing all the screens kind of like aliens. He's seeing all the screens go to, you know, dead, black, whatever. And then Santa opens the door and looks directly at him. Great callback with aliens because that's what I thought when it, we were watching it. Yeah. It was totally that. Good catch. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So... And he just throws the sledgehammer as the guy's running away. Oh, I love that. That's so good. And so... uh, Oh, and then he descends upon him. Is this this the guy he descends upon? Oh, yeah. He captures him, or he catches up to him, and he pulls the grenade pin, and he runs away. And I love what he says. He stops and goes, oh, fuck, I have to watch this. Did he put it down the back of his pants? Yeah. Yeah, Well, yeah, the back of his shirt, so yeah, so he couldn't get it. And then he Uh, runs, and I love that. I have to watch. (laughs) I have to look or whatever he says. Yeah, and boom. That was visually, because usually you only see the explosion. You could see the bits and pieces flying. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, And while this is going on, uh, we have to have our Home Alone moment. And I thought they did such a good job with this. What I thought was clever about it was when the two henchmen first get to the attic and they're getting ready. They basically call out, well, if you're going to home alone us, don't make it so obvious, you know, that we can see everything. Yeah, they're called booby traps for a reason. You're not supposed to see them, yeah. you know. But it turns, because she puts this nail in the step, like, you know. Yep. But you know it's going to be used. Oh, yeah. Because when we cut up into the attic and look down, we as the audience could see that the steps have been sawn. Mm-hmm. Sawed. This was another moment in the movie that I heard you yell out, oh, shit, or oh, fuck. When he stepped on that broken board. And he falls down and immediately popped to what movie? When the nail goes through his chin. I think I know what you're talking about. I don't remember. Friday the 13th? Oh, for fuck's sake. No. What? Uh, Hot Fuzz. Oh, yeah. The the steeple. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's exactly what I thought of. And that's when I said, oh, shit. Because you see the nail go right through his fucking. And he's all. Oh, my God. And you notice Candy Cane just goes up the ladder while he's still impaled on this nail. <laughs> and then it, it, and they show him get off the nail. And I think it, when he does that, I in the movie theater went, oh, oh thank God. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And then, uh, the, you know. The bowling ball booby trap begins. Oh, so funny. And uh, you knew it was going to just keep going and going and going. And uh she releases the bowling balls and Candy Cane manages to dodge a couple of them, but one of them does take her out at the ankle, which, ow. But at the same time... It also gets her, in, I don't know if you cut it, got her in the crotch. Oh, yeah, too. a couple times, oh, I think. Yeah. And so she gets pretty beaten up and then she gets knocked over into the glue. Yes, uh, but while this is happening, as the bowling balls are going down... Uh, gingerbread is gingerbread yeah Yeah, he's dodging them left and right whatever and you think it's over and he looks up 
And he... Uh, well, the f- what I didn't get about this scene is they show him looking at a drill bit and then looking up with it just over his head. And you're thinking, you, we know what's going to happen. Right. Here. Yeah. No, it's exactly what I was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but did you notice it was Candy Cane that threw that last ball? Oh, yeah. It had stopped. And she was so pissed about all the balls to go after her. She, she throws it and it goes out the, the hole in the wall, a hole in the floor, and it hits gingerbread in the drill bit into his eye who then falls down on that bed of nails that he had just gotten up <laughs> off of yes yes oh it was so good the, the crazy thing too and professor you talk about sounds and audio and, and music and the splatter sound of the blood and all that well the first time he got up off of those nails and you hear that sound of it like i don't know it was like a liquidy sound it was just nasty yeah yeah, they, so good. They did a great job with that kind of stuff. In oh, this the movie. sound design was fantastic in this, for sure. You think they'll sure. get nominated? No. No good movies are ever nominated. Yeah. So yeah. who did it better, Kevin McAllister or Trudy? I'm going to give this one to Trudy. Yeah, I, 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 I really think that she had thought it out very well. Kevin's was well thought out as well, but uh, I think this is darker and it's i don't know i kind of like it i felt like kevin had all day to figure out his traps and a whole house to do it in she figured out in such a small space in a limited amount of time and the one that gets me all the time (laughs) i've seen this once uh the one that gets me is when the glue and she lifts her head and it fucking scalps her you know and she's missing half the back of her hair and the skin and oh my god right um but going back to your question real quick, comic book guy, who did it better? Kevin, Trudy, or Nancy? Ooh. Because Nancy did it first. Yeah. That show respect, right? You got to go. Good call out. Okay. Definitely a good call out. Yeah. So something to think about. So Santa shows up to the attic, and he gets up there, and he is able to save Trudy. For- no. Yeah. Yeah. I did not. I, I figured somehow he was going to save her. I did not see him hitting Candy Cane with that sledgehammer to the point that she flies across the attic. I was just trying to think, how did she die? I was trying to remember that well, as well. He hits her with the, the hammer. She goes flying, and then he tells Trudy, he goes, um, you're Oh, yeah, go stand over there, turn, turn around, around, don't look. Start singing Jingle Bells or whatever. Yeah, he told her to start singing. And that was, so, that was such a wonderful juxtaposition yes. to have, you know, Jingle Bells by, sung by a little girl while this violent act happens just behind her. So he pounds her with the sledgehammer. Yeah. He, he beats her to death with a sledgehammer. Yeah, okay, there you go. Because Good. she tried to kill a little girl. Well, come on. Right. The family is taken outside by Scrooge and Commander Thorpe. Jason surrenders the money, but Scrooge intends to kill the family anyway. Santa arrives, forcing Scrooge and the commander to flee. Santa crashes into an old cabin in the woods, where Scrooge acknowledges Santa is real, but wants to kill him and end Christmas. Scrooge gains the upper hand, but Santa flies up the cabin's chimney, eviscerating Scrooge's body. Commander Thorpe shoots Santa, but is killed by Gertrude. Santa succumbs to his wounds. As Trudy is able to get her family to believe, Santa is revived, stunning the family and Santa himself. The reindeer return and Santa bids goodbye to Trudy before flying off to finish delivering gifts. His inspiration and love for Christmas renewed. Roll credits. 
So we know that the money's been stolen and we know that Jason has taken it and they're going to take him and Jason's going to take him to where the money is at the nativity scene with the three wise men on, on the, on the compound. And so they take Trudy, Jason, you have Scrooge, Thorpe, and then the mom, right? So this is our, this is our third act pretty much. Um, what did you guys think of this whole bit? When we have the family being taken outside and we have uh, the reveal of the money, it's like, oh, that's kind of a clever place to hide it. How the fuck did he get it out there with nobody seeing him putting that together? Maybe he was assembling the nativity scene, you know, that he, he assembled it himself. Yeah. Only thing I could think of, and it calls back to my, like I said, my earlier problem of him even stealing the money is he was obviously working for his mom. He had some job, some capacity, and that he must have had access to it. And I'm sure he had some role that he played in getting everybody to set up everything. Uh, he, I took it as he has been planning this for a while. Mm-hmm. And so he is going to take the $300 million and uproot him, his wife, and daughter. Uh, you got to assume they're leaving the country, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's why he kind of left the Dear John note to his mom. But, you know. Due to circumstances, she finds out. That's why she's not all that pissed off. Um, I bought it. I bought that he had done that days earlier. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was brought in to um, get them outside, get them out of the main room, you know, new location, and, you know, get us new ways to kill people. <laughs> so, um, because doesn't Linda, Linda cuts off someone's head, or what does Linda well, do? While this is going on, Linda... Isn't it Trudy and Alva? Oh, that's they're, right. They're and fighting. Bertrude, right. They're all back at the... They're fighting Krampus. Yeah, and Krampus is ordered to go ahead and kill them. That's right. right and right. so then they beat the living hell out of him. I yeah, love the argument. Great. No, shoot her. Yeah, no, shoot her you first. should shoot her. That was so good. That was so well written. Sno- uh, shoot the snooty uptight bitch. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, the, And I love how Linda comments of, just shoot the kid. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because he was a little shit. Uh, Here's what I don't get about, I guess, being a bad guy. You know what I mean? Three shots. That's all it would have taken. And it would have taken less time than having that whole conversation. Yeah. Why why did he wait? Yeah. Because Krampus is a psycho and he wanted to make him suffer. Yeah, maybe. But still, bang, bang, bang. And another thing I thought. Very unprofessional. Rudolph doesn't do this shit. One other thing I thought of. Uh, when he kills Tinsel Tree or whatever his name is with the star. Uh, before they do all that, he fills a sock full of fucking pool balls. Oh, that was a fun scene. And he smacks the shit out. How does he get back up? The guy who gets hit, how does he get back up? Man, I don't know. Killer instinct. Oh, for fuck's sake. You know what I mean? You would think that the the cue balls or the, the pool balls alone, that could have been Santa's weapon. And I love when talking about that scene, just the practicability of it is that not only is he knocking him, but the pool balls actually rip a hole in the sock. <laughs> at, the, so, at some point, yeah. Yeah, at some, so it's very realistic. I mean, they worked a lot of realism into this movie. <laughs> I suppose. Somewhat, yeah. I suppose. I knew that when Alva had that uh, that drink in her hand that it was somehow, somehow going to come into play. I thought she was going to throw it into his face. Uh, but good call on the fire, you know, get that fire going, yep. get him on fire. And I just love their enthusiasm, grabbing grabbing the uh, the fireplace utensils and just start beating the shit out of him. Yeah, ending yeah. up killing him, killing him. So they're all outside. Uh, they get the money. Uh, they take mom hostage. The, the colonel dude and Scrooge and mom are on snowmobiles. They're taking off, and Santa is in pursuit. 
He grabs uh he grabs a, a, a sled of some sort. I thought it was strange that there was another snowmobile there and he chooses to take the tray that Jesus is in or something that uses a sled to very like James Bond like go catch up with him. And he does. And he does. Um and this leads us to our well, he he kind of dispatches of the colonel dude, but he's not dead. We know he's coming back. Did you he's like just out of the picture for a second? What did you think? Again, I talked about, you know, a little bit about the realism and how I felt like he was the everyday guy. This is where it kind of went wrong for me in that he flies on the sled into the air, knocks the guy off the snowmobile and manages to write himself on the snowmobile and start riding the snowmobile. When did Santa learn those stunts? How old is Santa? Uh, they say he was like 1,100 years old or yeah, something. Yeah, so I'm going to say he learned it sometime around the turn of the century. Okay. One of his abilities is to... Well, when you've Maddox. been around for a while, you, you pick up things. Okay. Yeah. So we get our final fight with uh, Mr. Scrooge and Santa. I, I love how Scrooge sets up taunting and baiting uh, Santa to come in. I thought that was very clever to have the tree stump. And I... Come on, man. Why did Santa take that kind of bait? Come on. We all saw a mile coming yeah. that he was standing in front of something. Right. Right. Uh, but it worked. And uh, Mr. Scrooge beats the shit out of Santa. But before this, there was another piece of foreshadowing. Which is? Which is when uh, Gertrude kind of gets away a little bit, there's the gun on the ground. And she picks up the gun. So we know she's going to use a gun in a sec. Oh, yeah. Because they make it a point to show us. Yeah. 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 So um, they're fighting, and Mr. Scrooge has the upper hand. This uh, was something I thought was interesting. Sorry to interrupt you. No, you're not. No, no, I'm not. But uh, the fact that Scrooge had those claws on his feet, you know, the, to help him with the ice and the snow, uh-huh. you think Santa's boots would be good in ice and snow so he doesn't fall off roofs and things. Uh, did you notice that John Leguizamo's weapons that he was using were actually... Um, like their ice climbing picks that people mm-hmm. would use. Yeah. And this scene brings me to my favorite kill. I think that the way Santa Claus kills Mr. Scrooge is fucking awesome. When the fact that they're fighting in front of just a chimney that's out, you know, this this cabin has obviously fallen down and it's just the chimney left. Uh, the fact that they're fighting in front of the chimney, was it not obvious where it was going? Oh, yeah. It was completely obvious. But... It still made it just as fun. Yeah. I didn't think the kill was coming that way. I thought Sante was just going to kind of get an advantage by getting up higher. Oh, yeah. There was that. Um, but as soon as he hits his nose and then the body of Mr. Scrooge goes under the chimney and kind of get <laughs> so good. Oh, when they showed the chimney for the first time, it's like, oh, Mr. Scrooge, you're not going to fit up to the top of that chimney at all. Uh-huh. That's exactly what I Yeah, because they made a comment, didn't they, earlier in the movie? How does he go up the chimney? They're so small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't fit. There's no way you can do it, right? But yeah, so he takes or tries to take the body up the fucking chimney, and he comes out with just this stump. <laughs> Hilarious. And then Santa gets shot. And Many we, times. Yeah, and then we knew that was coming. And I have to say that momentarily I thought to myself, oh, shit. Who shot Santa? Was it was it Commander Thorpe? Or I didn't know. Yeah. Um, as soon as he got shot, I'm like, oh yeah, it's that Thorpe dude. He's not dead yet. But mm-hmm. see, we saw Gertrude get a gun. Yeah. Right. But she has to shoot Thorpe. Yeah. And when she got the gun, and I knew she was going to play a role in that, I didn't see her killing Thorpe the way she killed him. Just walking up and shooting him in the head. Oh well, I, I figured she was going to shoot him. Uh, that's a little ca- hardcore the way she did it. You know, good for her. 
But um, she's a cast iron bitch. Yes, she is. But um, yeah, it it all played out exactly how he. I was gonna say it all played out the, exactly the way he wanted. If you it think to. about it, she got the final kill in the movie. Yeah, probably. Well, yeah, because he dies afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good for her. She wins the award, and so. You know Santa's not going to die. Well, every Christmas movie classic out there has to have one major element in it. And what's that major element? Christmas. It has to have a Christmas miracle. It has to have that scene where everybody believes and then they create the Christmas miracle. So this is our Christmas miracle scene. What, that Santa can't die? No, that they all start saying, I believe, I believe, kind of the Peter Pan moment. Well, how could you not believe? I mean, he's... He's shown you yeah. right there. And so because they all believe they generate enough Christmas spirit that it revives him because he doesn't know how the magic works. Well, I didn't think they were going to kill him because they had no one to pass the torch to. Mm-hmm. None of those fuckers deserve to be Santa. And that's what I was wondering about. It's like, so how did Santa become Santa in the first place? He's given a choice. and Cursed. And I was wondering, did somebody give... The job to him because they had passed away and he was there a little bit like what happened in the Santa Claus. And that's where the frame of reference comes from. That's what puts that into our head. And being Santa Claus could never be a curse. Um, I thought he said earlier on he started the whole thing. I think he did. I think he was the first Santa. So I, I pondered. It's like, well, geez, it can't be any of these assholes. That's what I said. Yeah. Yeah. So I, well, he's going to have to come back. Yeah. And and I like how David Harbour plays it, right? He comes back to life and he's like, it's magic, man. But like you said, I don't know how it works. So there you go. The reindeer show up, gets in his sleigh. I love how he starts chewing out the reindeer. Uh-huh. You know, being very unprofessional. Yeah. But I love how he then finds the spare bag because the first bag got burned. And he's like, I can't stay mad I know. You, I love guys. you guys went back to get my spare bag. He couldn't believe it. Like, he was so touched by the gesture. And he melts. And yeah. and the note from Mrs. Claus of saying, I thought you might need this. And what is it? Skull crusher. The actual, I thought, at this point, I thought, oh, too little, too late. But nice gesture. Yeah. Nice yeah. gesture. Yeah, because where else, where else is he going to go bash skulls? Well. I mean, this is a. Maybe this is the new Santa Claus, and he's going to be looking for trouble. Well, then how can he do that? He doesn't have time to deliver all the presents. Instead of visiting the good kid's house, he's going to go visit the naughty houses. Then that defeats the whole purpose of Santa. Well, it's the new Christmas. There is no such thing as new Christmas. This coming this coming from a guy who doesn't even celebrate Christmas. You, you don't get to change he, Christmas. He's pretty cavalier on how he wants to have things be. Yeah, I know. Bah humbug, motherfucker. Yeah, there you go. So we have Trudy having to say goodbye to Santa Claus, and I, I found it modestly amusing that everybody else just stuck back and they let Trudy and Santa have their own private little moment. Yeah. But I get it. And you knew they had to say goodbye to each other because Santa's got a job to do. Right. He's got to go deliver some presents. I appreciated how a lot of these Christmas movies always end with, you know, Santa having some classic Christmas line of on dancer, on prancer, on, you know, whatever. He's saying that as they're going. And then in a very David-like kind of, theme of this santa claus he says go on you beautiful bastards we have work to do and that was violent night well there was a like a mid-credit scene i think you had left the room at the time don but there was a scene where uh we get bertrude again who's our social media guy hashtag blessed who basically says um 
you know, this is, you know, Santa's real guys. This is a dead body. Don't be naughty. And then they go right back to the credits. Yeah. I got a question. Why are you wearing a Lord of the Rings sweater? Lord of the Rings? Well, I mean, look at it. What is going on? Is that Christmas? It's hard to tell. Well, I had to get in the mood. The mood for what? And now it's time for John's... Moment. Okay, well, let's just start out real quick with Santa Claus. He's definitely John McClane. And Trudy, obviously Al Powell. Now, when we come to Hans Gruber... Oh, wait. I'm supposed to be talking about Lord of the Rings and not the greatest Christmas movie ever made. I'm supposed to talk about the greatest film franchise ever made, Lord of the Rings. So this is the point in our podcast where I take whatever movie that we're reviewing and compare it to Lord of the Rings. Frodo in this movie is our Santa Claus. He's on a journey to find meaning again in Christmas. So that makes Trudy his Sam. She serves as his moral support throughout the movie and in the end is the biggest factor in restoring Santa's faith in Christmas. All the other Lightstones are pretty much worthless side characters except maybe Morgan Steele. He's so self-focused that he even gives Gertrude a gift that is really for himself and that makes him our Gollum. The other two family members that maybe have a comparison are Jason and Linda, Trudy's parents. Their side arc story and some of the comedic elements gives them kind of a Merry and Pippin feeling. They did see their own share of action, but in the end, really didn't impact much of the story. Scrooge is the architect of the heist. He's the one with all the power, calling all the shots. This makes him Sauron. His mercenaries are like his ring race, especially the ones he sends off to find our Frodo which includes candy cane and gingerbread. So what is our precious? What is our one ring? In Violent Night, there is a big focus on, well, you guessed it, Christmas spirit, or the lack thereof. Even Santa Claus is pretty much lost his Christmas spirit. It's the lack of Christmas spirit that caused all the woes in this film, from Santa's pessimism to Scrooge's disdain for Christmas to even the Lightstone family having all-about-me family gathering. It all boils down to greed. That is what is so precious to seems like everybody in this movie. Santa has had it with greedy children. Scrooge's envy of other families and his greed for the Lightstone money is what put him where he is, and so on. It's not until the greed is cast aside, at least for a moment, that the family spirit is able to save Middle Earth, I mean, the Lightstone family. And there you have it, my comparison between Violent Night and Lord of the Rings. Bring on the grades. What you got? I thought it was very middle of the road. You have your Frodo, your Sam, and after that, you have Sauron. And I, I just didn't think that there was enough there. But the greed part works for the, uh, for the ring part. Because that's what uh, everybody was suffering from. So I'll go with that. That's a solid C. Ah. Um, I thought the greed part was a really good comparison. Um, I actually started listening after you said that. Uh, When you go through the characters, (laughs) 
fuck me for having you do this <laughs> way back when because when we start watching movies or when i start watching movies i start thinking oh there's a sam there's this frodo and so now i have that in my head too right so a lot of those characters are no-brainers what i'm looking for and i think i've told you this before is the precious and the how it relates and if you can find a correlation between the movie we're watching and Lord of the Rings. Uh, but this one was good. This one was greed and it fits. So Merry Christmas, motherfucker. I'm giving you a B. Nice. Whoa. I almost canceled the Lord of the Rings comparison and did a diehard comparison since we are in the holiday spirit. I would have allowed that. But I just felt it was too obvious with this movie. It is pretty fucking on the nose, right? I mean, you could easily cast almost each and every one of them into a role. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, so. <laughs> the the when you watch the trailer, it says it right there. It's Die Hard meets Home Alone. But so. maybe as we're continuing on with our Christmas classic movies, there's a movie coming up that maybe I will do a Die Hard comparison instead. And that was John's. Moment. All right, what do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this bitch? I think we should rate this bitch. John, you want to rate this bitch? Ho, ho, ho. Motherfucker. Motherfucker. Professor, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that we think is cinematic gold. You're ready to watch that anytime somebody says, you want to watch that? Yeah, I'll watch that. A one fuck movie is a movie that you really have have no desire to ever see it again. You saw it for whatever reason, but there's nothing that compels you to want to see it again. It's pretty much one and done. And what's a zero? A zero fuck movie is a movie that it's fuck you for making me watch this. I think that you should have a sledgehammer to the head. Yes. Yes, I do. Or a big lump of coal shoved up your ass. Anus. Up your anus. Anus. (laughs) Or in other words, we just don't give a fuck. Uh, Who wants to go first? Not me. I can go first if you like, if you're not done hearing from me. All right, go ahead, buddy. When you break down Violent Night to its core element, you basically have a movie about getting your Christmas mojo back. And it's a fun ride of a movie that doesn't take itself too seriously. Basically, Violent Night is a recipe made up of one part Die Hard, a dash of Home Alone, a whole load of 80s and 90s action movie tropes all thrown in and baked into what easily can become any action movie lovers new christmas classic tradition i've said it many times in past podcasts that when it comes to action movies i tend to judge judge the quality of them on their oh shit moments violent night is stocked full of oh shit moments and it's been a while since i've seen a movie that actually made me say oh shit throughout the movie in the theater David Harbour succeeds in creating a character we can understand where he's coming from, as well as someone we can root for. He takes on Santa Claus as a Norwegian barbarian, Viking-type character, and it's a clever take. It's a believable tie-in and explains his fighting abilities. John Likwazamo does give us an interesting Hans Gruber-like villain, but my only gripe about this movie is that the henchmen... We don't really get enough into their background. They're all just stereotypes of classic type characters, but there's not enough buildup, especially for me, gingerbread. I loved how they built up in the beginning that obviously he was a strong man, that he was a boxer, that he he could fight well, 
And then they don't give us the payoff later of him actually going one-on-one with Santa. I would have liked to see a little bit more of that. We got a little bit more out of Candy Cane, but I don't feel like there was enough build-up to being her kind of this sadistic character. And Krampus, who was supposed to be this psycho psychopath character, just kind of was an off-to-the-side, you know, kind of laughing little guy who didn't come off as scary or anything. I really appreciated that while this movie was a constant action flick. It wasn't just wrapped in Christmas decorations. It actually kept a central holiday theme like running throughout the entire movie. And the soundtrack, in my opinion, as well, was perfectly selected to keep that holiday spirit flowing. One of the other things that I really appreciated about this movie is that I'd actually look forward to seeing spinoffs or additional, like if they want to make a prequel or a sequel, I think I would give them a shot. I would actually enjoy seeing where they can go with this. They put elements into this movie that could possibly build to a future franchise. You know, something like maybe how Santa got his hoe. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. And for those reasons, I am giving Violent Night my new go-to Christmas flick, 4.25 fucks. Violent Night definitely gets added to my naughty list. And that's not a bad thing. All right. Yeah, I'll go. Yeah. Why are you looking at me? You want a piece of this? All right. Violent Night. I had little expectations for this movie. And when I saw the preview in the theater, I wasn't sure what I was watching. And YouTube bozos were like, hey, we got to see that. We should do it. And so that was it. We ended up going to see it based on seeing the preview in the theater that one time. And watching it, I have to say that I was wondering how macabre, how dark this story could go. I enjoyed having uh, a, sa- a Santa for today's today's world. You have a jaded, tired, broken person that is downtrodden and and has essentially given up on what it is that he's supposed to be doing because the world is such a cold and busy place that it's superficial things and it's it's wanting only things for yourself and and what has happened to the christmas spirit and so as the story begins to unfold with santa being in a situation that he's trying very hard to get out of but unfortunately he has to uh, deal with it became a pretty fun ride as soon as the action started to get going I really enjoyed his story arc, that he is somebody that is trying to do better now that he has been reminded by the heart of the movie, Trudy. And she is very, very influential in giving us the heart and the spirit and the soul of the movie that is expected in a Christmas movie. And because of that, it also works on Santa. As the violence begins, I have to say that there were many times where I chuckled to myself and the uh, deaths were uh, morbidly satisfying in a way. But I think another part of the reason why that happened was because we were seeing it in the theater and there was a guy a couple of seats down from us that gave that goofy laugh. (laughs) Oh boy, I heard him laugh like that numerous times. And because of that... I don't know, it, it kind of worked for me in a silly sort of way that, you know, a theater experience can be a, a rewarding uh, movie experience to help you get into the spirit 
of things, if you will, when you watch a story for the first time. And so I'm glad I got to see that in the theater for that sake. I totally dug Scrooge. I thought he was a great bad guy. I, I, I smiled from ear to ear when John walks up, when Scrooge walks up to the, uh, to the guard shack asking to use the phone. It's like, oh, that's wild. And then he's the antagonist of the story. Wonderful. I totally dug the writing. The writing, I thought, was very clever, and it was a fun watch. And I also appreciated the fact that we have a raunchier version, if you will, of a diehard-style movie. And it is something that I will watch again, and it's an enjoyable watch. And I am looking forward to having the opportunity to add this to my Christmas rotation because it is it, it is a rousing, fun time that is very satisfying on several levels. The heart, the, uh, the, the fact that we have a family that gets back together, as well as Santa Claus understanding what the true spirit of Christmas is supposed to be, and he's willing to pull himself back to where he needs to be, and the action. Love the action. It was great. And the inconsistencies of the story, having the con- plot conveniences, I didn't care. I, I just rolled with it because that's where the story needs to be and accept the spirit of the story and not necessarily the the inconsistencies or, or not necessarily plot holes, but things that, I don't know, wait, how could that happen? Eh, forget about it. Just go for the ride. And so it is... I think a solid four fuck movie for me. Violent Night. Definitely a fun ride. I'm super glad that we went to go see it. David Harbour knocks it out of the park as Santa. I believed it. I loved his outfit. I loved the sleigh. I loved the reindeer. I loved the whole spirit. Uh, I don't care that it was basically diehard. It was a diehard for a new generation, if you will. Everyone has always said and compared and complained is Die Hard a Christmas movie. People say yes, people say no. Well, now we have our Die Hard Christmas movie, and it's called Violent Night. Uh, Is it better than Die Hard? No, but that's a different discussion for a different time. I really dug this flick. I thought that John Leguizamo was fucking excellent as the antagonist, as our Hans Gruber And his whole team and just the elements that they brought into it, the Home Alone shtick, uh, Trudy warmed your heart. She was definitely the heart of this film. Um, The rest of the cast, they did their job. And like you said, Professor, they're passable. Uh, This movie is definitely going into the rotation. And this movie would be one of those movies that had I still have small children, when they went to bed on Christmas Eve and I would sit up and wrap presents, this would be the movie that I would play. This is right. But all my kids are pretty much grown now. So whatever. All that means is that we can all watch it together. So definitely going into the Christmas rotation. It's a fun, fun, fun fucking film. I recommend it. If you haven't seen it, go fucking see it. Uh, It's definitely worth your time Four solid fucks from yours. Truly. All right. Well, I think it's a, it's, it's a no brainer. This is a crowd pleaser for us. With 4.25 fucks from the comic book guy and four fucks from the professor and myself, that gives Violent Night an average score of 4.1 fucks, which ties it with Spider-Man No Way Home, Clerks 3, 
slightly worse than the Big Lebowski, the Breakfast Club, Top Gun Maverick, and slightly better than Edge of Tomorrow and Clerks 2. And not bad, you know. Uh, definitely a December fucking movie, though. I don't know. If, I don't know if I'd watch this in July. Right, because it's got Santa Claus in it. Right. I don't know. Whenever this comes out streaming or on video, I'm gonna have to watch it. All right. If you want to know the next movie we are going to review, be sure to check out the website and any social media platforms that we might be on. We're going to be doing, what, uh, at least two more holiday movies? Yeah, we got two more in the series, um, and then we'll do an end-of-the-year movie, and we'll move on to 2023. Speaking of which, hey, John, where can they find us? As always, they can find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com, where we post all of our podcasts, movie notes, movie trivia, and anything else we feel like putting there. You can also find us at, on any of the social media sites as well as any place that hosts podcasts. All right. So that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. I just want to thank Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for listening. Keep on listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And according to the interwebs, we have over 15,000 downloads. So Our, our I, goal was to hit 10,000 by the end of the year. And thanks to our loyal listeners... We hit 15,000. So thank you to everybody who's out there listening and pass it along to a friend. If you have an idea for a movie, please let us know so we can throw it into the Bronco helmet. That way I don't have to listen to what these two bozos have to say. So for three guys in a flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Thanks for listening. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas. lock on that and unless you guys think like something else pops in your mouth Scrooge is fine with me did you just say something else pops in your mouth pops in your mouth shit did you need another 20 minutes to explain that to you I just felt like at the end he should have yelled out you weren't there for me yeah well keep your day job buddy let's just say that keep your day job kind of got her in the crotch oh yeah a couple times I think yeah um does that hurt girls yes yes okay and when did she find a saw to cut the wood on the ladder of the attic? When or where? Where and when? Well, she was in the attic, so you just got to assume there was a saw up there. And she just could sit there and saw it with all the guys running around? It's a big fucking house. <laughs> I actually almost changed it this week. Okay. And you'll tell in my review what I mean by that. I almost had a bagel this week. All right, fuck off. Good night.